for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And the question is this, as an everyday disciple, am I working and resting for the glory of God? How is that playing out inside of my life? Because an everyday disciple actually finds joy in both work and in rest, not just one or the other. We've been in this series for six weeks now. Today is the last Sunday we're in it called Everyday Disciple. Our aim is this, not to answer every question on how to follow Jesus perfectly, to have the checklist down, but our aim is how are we intentionally being with Jesus to go and do with Jesus? How are we intentionally allowing ourselves to be influenced by Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, to be around Jesus for the sake of doing for him and with him on everyday life. And we talked about things like reading the Bible and prayer. We talked about living missionally and in community. We started in a place of making our home in Jesus' love. That I can be really active as a Christ follower and yet not really know where my home is. And John 15 tells us that Jesus invites us to make our home in his love and his grace and his mercy and to live there. Today, we're going to look at this idea of working and resting. And I put it like this. An everyday disciple works hard and plays hard. Okay? Everyday disciple works hard and plays hard. And we're going to talk about work and rest underneath of that. Because the tension that builds in me around work and rest really is not just at a physical level. Level. There's something deeper, I think, going on when we talk about work and we talk about rest. And I think the tension, I'm just going to speak for me, but I think it's translatable, okay? I'm just going to speak for me. I think I have a broken view of work and rest. I think I have a very broken view of work and rest. And I think that's why ultimately there's a tension or a feeling of tension, and usually one wins out over the other, because I usually value one more than the other. What do I mean by that? Well, first is this. Here is how I have a broken view of work and rest. First is this. Let's talk about work. My work often becomes my identity. My work is my identity. I, I find this fascinating. What's one of the first three questions you ask someone? What's your name? Maybe where do you live? Or how long have you lived here? And what do you do for a living? Right? That's how you usually get to know people. It's a great way to get to hear their history or their education or what they do for a job and what interests them inside of life, right? And yet so many times have I allowed my work to be my identity, to be the thing that drives me, to be the thing that my value comes from inside of life. I found this out. Right? I said we spend a lot of time at work. Well, it's Research says that we spend roughly 90,000 hours at work in our lifetime. It's a lot of hours right there, right? Not to mention the work we do around the house or in our community or doing good elsewhere, right? We spend the most time and the energy often in that setting. And so I think what actually ends up happening is this, is it forms us uniquely. Not always bad. I'm not, work, we're going to see, is a very good thing, Okay. But when work becomes my sole identity or my primary identity, it forms me and it becomes a status or an image or a performance I have to live up to, right? If you're a middle school or high school student, translate it like this. 
whatever extracurricular or academic success you find, right? Because school right now is your work, okay? Unless you're working an outside job, right? And oftentimes I can derive whatever work I'm doing, whether extracurricular, school, or I'm working in a job field somewhere, it forms an identity and I can either attach to that, right? Or we're going to see what looks better in following Jesus through that. Because honestly, when we ask the question, what do you do for a living, right? For some of us, we kind of step back in that. We don't want to share because, well, how are people going to see me? How are people going to relate to me now because they know I do X, Y, and Z? For others of us, we step forward because we want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm in this kind of job or I'm in this kind of profession or I'm this kind of successful. Honestly, when people ask me what I do for a living, I'm like, dang it, right? I'm just like, darn, they're going to find out because it changes the conversation, right? Sometimes it's great, but oftentimes I say I'm a pastor and they're like, oh, so what do you do, right? And what does that look like? Or I'm sorry I said that, or I haven't been in church in a while, right? For me, it forms something, a response inside of me, right? Because so much so I gain an identity from that, So my work can often, because of a broken view, become my identity. But secondly, around rest, okay? My rest in a broken viewpoint has no meaning. My rest in a broken viewpoint or a broken understanding has no meaning attached to it. Here's the reality. Rest in our cultural moment Inside of our setting, okay, and I think it's always maybe been a struggle, but just in our setting, it usually means this. You binge watch a series, you scroll on social media, or maybe you nap for a couple hours to fight off the exhaustion, and you keep going. That is what rest looks like. And honestly, inside of that context, there's very little meaning for rest outside of being able to do more, right? Which is usually what it looks like. I know there's spectrums to all this. Usually that's what it looks like. Very little meaning and rest actually functions rather than having meaning of fulfillment, it's used as a way to distract me from all the chaos that's happening around me. And it never actually fulfills me. It never allows me to be fulfilled by something, someone we're going to see. But rather it distances me for a minute from what I'm going through so I don't have to think about it. And maybe I can plug back in eventually and deal with it. But the reality is this, work and rest, as much as there's a tension around it, has a lot of beautiful roots to it. That both work and rest give us meaning. Whether you're in school right now, whether you're in college doing your undergrad, masters, or you're working in your career, no matter where you're sitting at, right, work has beauty to it. There's beauty to it that we're going to see God gives to us. But there's also beauty to rest. And what rest gives to work and ultimately the picture of them working together. But we have to start with the gospel. Because the good news of Jesus actually puts a lens on work and rest in a very unique way. That I think will pop if we allow ourselves to dive into it. Genesis 1 is where the first conversations of rest and work. Genesis 1 and 2 is where we see rest and work starting to play out. Genesis 1, 27 says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
this beautiful scene where the God of the universe, the God that we serve, the God that we're worshiping on Sunday mornings and throughout our week, he creates the universe and everything that exists in the universe. He, he creates the earth and he creates all the plants and he creates all of the livelihood that's happening. And then he finishes with creating man, creating man and woman. And ultimately inside of that picture, what we see is this, that he creates man in his own image, in his own likeness, which tells me this, before man and woman ever did any ounce of work, that they were graced by God. To be made in his likeness and his image means to bear his character, to bear some personality traits. We're not exactly like God, but we bear enough that we are special to God in some very unique and beautiful ways. And he creates us in that to give us a picture of how to live that out with purpose and meaning inside of the world that he has created and given us a role to play in. Because what I love is this. After God creates Adam, which we would see inside of this passage, and identifies him, right? You are Adam. You're made in my likeness. You're made in my image. You are in relationship with me. He then invites him to work and rest. We'll see this in a moment. But what's interesting is this. Both work and rest were instituted in paradise, not the fall. Okay? Now, listen, sometimes work, it feels like it was instituted in the fall. You're like, it's just a miserable, miserable thing, right? But it was instituted in paradise. Work and rest have a very important part to play inside of God's creation and is actually one of the ways he invites us to commune with him, be in community with him, be on mission with him, to live out our likeness in our image, and then to retreat back to him and rest and be reminded of that as we exert energy towards good things that we do in work. Work and rest was a part of the balance, a part of relationship, a part of the creation that we cannot miss out on. So Adam's identity as the image bearer gave context to both work and rest. Your image, image bearing of God gives context to work and rest. You being a follower of Christ gives context to work and rest. It's not just something that we have to do on this earth. I quite possibly think that when we go to eternity, that there will be roles to be played out. There will be things to be lived out even inside of eternity through this. But there's context that our identity gives to all of it. Because ultimately, when I see my identity, this is the pathway I need to start thinking. When I connect my life to Jesus, it tells me who I am. And when I know who I am as a child of God, as an ambassador, as a co-laborer, then I know what to do. Right? That's work. It's how I play that out. Which will lead me to know how to do it. Right? When I know who I am, I know what to do. When I know what to do, I'll know how to do it based off how God's created me to live that out. And Adam was playing that out in real time. He was creating God's likeness and image. God was communing with him. We'll see in chapter 2, God gives him a role. Name all the animals. Oversee that. He knows what to do, and he will play that out accordingly. 
If your identity is missing, if your Jesus connection is missing with work and rest, it starts to get broken. It starts to separate from its true meaning and its true purpose inside of our life. Because often, when we have a broken view of work and rest, work becomes approval-based. It becomes my identity. It creates resentments, right? Listen, we all deal with this, right? Well, they're not working as hard as me. They're not doing as much as me. They got the promotion I didn't, right? Work becomes resentful, not collaborative. It becomes about getting access or maybe power or climbing the ladder. Work becomes about what? Me. Doesn't become about God ultimately. And rest, rest has no meaning. It becomes unbeneficial. Rest becomes something that I just put to the side or sometimes I'll be addicted to it. I won't be able to climb out of the hole of it. And all of a sudden it doesn't have any meaning, but I'm just trapped into the cycle of it. Because ultimately when sin entered the world, we lost sight on how to be image bearers. And what ends up happening is we begin to try to create our own image instead of be an image bearer of the creator of the universe. And as we try to create our own image, we start to find that we cannot do that in and of ourselves. Things start to fall underneath of that. And that is the continual tension. Am I running into work and rest as an image bearer with meaning and purpose behind the God of the universe through Jesus and what he did on the cross through his resurrection and what I have said by saying yes to Jesus, this new identity? Am I living out of that new identity that was given to me through Jesus? Or am I trying to create my own identity through work and or through rest? Ephesians 2, Paul says this, For as by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Right, we see this throughout Paul's letters. What he's saying there is this, that you and I in and of ourselves cannot meet our own needs. We cannot deal with our own sin. We cannot deal with our own fallenness, the junk of our life, the hopelessness. But there is someone who has, his name is Jesus, and he is God's son who was sent specifically on a mission to redeem the world back to God, to institute, reinstitute his kingdom on this earth through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And when you say yes to Jesus, connect yourself to the Savior of the world. Grace is given, a free gift of salvation and identity and community and mission. All of a sudden, there is a new lens that I live life through. He says, it's not by your works so that what? We can't boast because we can't do it on our own because we can't provide it on our own. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that. God's grace initiates good works in us. Good's work, good works does not initiate God's grace in us. God's grace initiates good works. And the beauty of that is this, that it comes ultimately after a new identity has been placed then I start to know how to live out of that. God's grace saves us, and now Jesus' work informs my work, and Jesus' rest informs my rest. The work Jesus did on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, informs my work. We're going to look at that. 
Because I think an everyday disciple should be the hardest worker there is. And yet, an everyday disciple is informed by the rest that Jesus had inside of his Father. And we should also be good at resting, ultimately as a reminder of who God is. So, let's dive into this real briefly, okay? Here is the first point. We're going to look at working hard and playing hard. Working hard, we're going to start there. Let's say this, working hard from my identity, not for my identity. As an everyday disciple, I work hard from an identity, not for one, like I just said. That's really important. Your primary identity in this life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is child of God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you're here. And maybe this is something you struggled with. Who am I? You feel lost. You feel like there's there's no home for you. You're hopeless. And the first step is trusting in Jesus as your Savior. And as you do, he institutes a new identity, child of God. And as a child of God, you start to live out of that in a different way than you used to live out of your old identity. Ultimately, you don't have to work for something. You're working from the reality that it's been given graciously to you as a gift. That you don't have to work for approval. You work from it. You don't have to work for a verdict. You work from the verdict that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. That is why I think an everyday disciple should be the best employee or best boss because they're not trying to climb the ladder for their own sake, but they're in it for the team or for those around them because they're working from something already, not for it. Tim Keller would put it this way in his book, Every Good Endeavor. God gives talents and gifts so we can do for one another what he wants to do for us and through us. It's interesting that maybe the gifts and the talents that he's given us to play out work, to do a career, to lead a team, is not for our sake to gain some access and power, to get the top of the honor roll, to be the best on the team for my sake, but rather it's for the sake of him using us to impact each other, to be present with us through each other, working with each other, giving to each other, sacrificing for each other. What if work became that? Three things I think working hard includes. I think it includes a calling, a cultivation, and coming around others. And we're just going to briefly look at those, but a calling. The question I would ask is this. The question I would ask is this. Do I see my work as a calling, not just a job? Do I see my work as a calling, not just a job? What's interesting is the Latin word for call is at the root of the word vocation. And Tim Keller would put it this way. He says this, and so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interest. It's just a job, or it's just a workplace, or it's just school, or it's just the team, or it's just the practice, if it's just a job, quote-unquote. But a calling is a missional sense towards something that is greater beyond myself for the glory of God, which we saw Paul talk about in 1 Corinthians 10, and for the good of others. What if the setting I'm in, students, 
is not just school that I have to pass or that I have to do well in or that my parents want me to do well in, but what if it's actually a vocation that God has set you in for a specific amount of time to be able to impact others around you because you're there for a reason? What if the sports team you're on that God's given you gifts and abilities to really be successful in, to be talented in, is not so that you can make it on the cover of ESPN, but that you can have an impact on the teammates and the coaches that you're around. Young adults, looking for maybe where your career is at. Jumping from job to job, figuring it out. Wherever you end up landing, how can you see that as a calling to that place at that time for those people? Career people who are in a spot, leading people, doing things. What would it look like not to continue to climb the ladder of success, but to ultimately be a servant inside of that? What does it mean to have a calling inside of those things? I'm called to work as an image bearer of God. I'm called to work specifically to use my gifts for others. The beauty is this, when my identity comes from the reality of what Jesus has done, who he is, all of a sudden, a calling towards something starts to become a real conversation. Because a calling means I have to look outside of myself. A calling means that my gifts and abilities aren't for myself. A calling means that inside of this setting, there's something greater happening that God wants me to be a part of. And if my identity is solely tied to work, I will fight for myself rather than for the sake of others. So do I see my work as a calling, not just a job? Cultivation. The question I'm going to ask here is this. Am I cultivating through my work or just clocking in? Am I cultivating through, for my work or just clocking in? It's interesting. Like I said, work was a part of paradise, right? Which sounds like an oxymoron in maybe our day and age. But Adam was introduced to this in Genesis 2 by our God. This is what Genesis 2 says. The Lord God took the man, that's Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That was a part of Adam's role, that he was going to work it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to oversee the animals. He's going to make sure the land is good. He's going to make sure everything's happening inside of that. What's interesting is God invited Adam to work even in paradise, which if you read Tim Keller's book, he, he notes this, and I thought it was fascinating. We often, I think, we think about paradise just being perfect and lush, and we're just chilling on a tree somewhere, right? And yet there was cultivation that was invited by God for Adam to take part in inside of that paradise plan, that as he cultivated in that he wants to cultivate something through us and something in us. That maybe there are parts of what God created that are undeveloped in such a way that he invites us to take our gifts and abilities to give to the world around us, give to the world that he's created, give in such a way to partner with him so that ultimately through us, cultivation happens and we bring goodness to the world that he has offered us through relationship with him and potentially, think very highly, do something in us. That the cultivation work is not just of the grounds, 
but is in our soul. That as you and I work and as you and I get into the thick of it, working on teams and on projects and other things, guess what gets revealed? Not great stuff in my heart all the time, right? There's a cultivating of the soul that happens in work that ultimately drives me back into God because I need him. Not just a cultivation of the ground, which, yes, I think is involved in that. We see ultimately that I think God has invited us to come around him inside of this world. This world that now is infected by sin, is decaying, is destroying, that potentially he's invited us in to work intentionally to cultivate for the sake of good. Cultivate for the sake of goodness being seen around the world. Cultivate for the sake of what? His glory being seen in people's lives. Then lastly is this. This should maybe be assumed with where we were going, coming around others. Do I see others in my work or just myself? Right? Ultimately, my work should benefit others. Should benefit those that I'm in direct contact with, that I'm serving, yes. But also, do I see my work as a benefit to the team that I'm working on? Ever thought about that? Like, you get to work with people every day, every week, whatever it may be. And how can your work be in such a way that it comes around those that you're working with? I put it like this with the team that I work with. I always want to make sure I'm checking myself for the sake of not being competitive, but being collaborative. Right? Very quickly, we can look around the circle and say, who do I need to stomp out so that I can get the victory or that I can take the position pull or that I can do? And, and that, that's a little bit of what I can struggle with at times. I got to check myself often to say, am I willing to be more collaborative than competitive? Because ultimately, my work is for what? The glory of God and good for others. We see this inside of Philippians 2. If it keeps happening, David, I'll just switch mics. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. He says, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you have a chance to live out of that, which does not include selfish ambition or vain conceit. What if work did not include how high I got on the ladder, how much money I got, or if they're getting it or not? What if it was out of humility I chose to work, celebrating, collaborating with those for the sake of what? For the sake of Jesus being seen. Gospel humility is not thinking less of myself or thinking more of myself. It's thinking of myself less. What if you walked in and what if I walked in? This is as applicable to me and I work at a church. Okay? where it's assumed everybody on staff is a Christian, right? But it's just as applicable to me. What if I walked into work and didn't think to myself, what can they give to me, or what do I need from them, but what do they need from me? How can I serve them today? How can I help them today? How can I come around them today? And sometimes that looks like a conversation around the water cooler. Sometimes that looks like diving into a project, Sometimes that's partnering up with a student that doesn't have a partner in your class that no one else wants to be with. Sometimes that's coming around the kid that's struggling on the practice field and encouraging them because you're a leader. Right? What does it look like to come around others inside of that? So working hard comes from an identity, not for an identity. 
that as we ultimately connect our lives to Jesus, we ultimately have a picture of what work looks like. Now, does that happen perfectly? No. But it's the pursuit of keeping Jesus at the forefront of the thing that you will spend the most hours in your life doing. What if missional work started in your workplace, not just in your neighborhood or with your family or friends, because you spend the most time around those people? So working hard comes from an identity, not for an identity. I'll explain this one a little bit, but playing hard for reminders, not from remainders. Playing hard for reminders, not from remainders. And this makes sense to me, but it may not make sense to you. And, and this is what I mean by this. Often, my rest, okay, when I talk about playing hard, I mean rest, okay? Because you'll see, there's different ways that you can rest inside of, uh, or, or play inside of rest. But often, my rest is based on what I have remaining instead of refilling on the good stuff. Usually rest is, I can't go any longer, I hit the couch, I sleep for two hours, I wake up and I just go back to what I was doing. Or rest looks like scrolling on Facebook endlessly and endlessly and endlessly, right? Or maybe it's Netflix, or maybe it's ESPN, or maybe it's just sitting down for a minute and then getting back up. That I think oftentimes when we run into rest, and this goes all the way down to middle school students, high school students in particular, young adults, we do it from what's remaining instead of allowing ourselves to be filled up on reminders, on good stuff that will give to our soul and allow us to give to others in a more healthy, beneficial way. Things like this. It's the difference between binge-watching Netflix or Disney Plus or ESPN Plus and binging the Bible. It's the difference between scrolling on Facebook and sitting across from a friend's. It's the difference between looking at pictures of way back when and making memories now. It's the difference, and ultimately, it is finding where you can plug in to be reminded of what, who you are, so that you know what to do, and then you can do that and live that out as God has created you. And the less that I do that, the more frustrating my work will become. Rest is not just for a physical, I got two hours, and we can go back to it. Rest has a lot of spiritual implications to it, and it is mentioned throughout Scripture inside of the terminology, the Sabbath. The idea of resting has a bi biblical basis to it. Genesis 2.2, okay? Genesis 2.2, this is what we see written. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So ultimately, Liz, I didn't go here at first, but work is a God thing. He worked, he spoke into being creation. So work is not only an image bearer thing, but it is a God thing that he is doing and has done. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, which I love because the God of the universe probably didn't need to rest because he's the God of the universe. Yet, he was setting in a rhythm to ultimately let us know what? He wanted us to have a rhythm of rest for the sake of us remembering who he is, who we are in light of that, and how to go out into our week and work, seven-day week. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work creating that he had done. 
I love it. God instituted a day of rest at creation. We see this later on, the Ten Commandments. He reinstituted it with his people, right? It's in the top five. He says, take a Sabbath day. It's the longest section in the Ten Commandments. God demonstrated it to us and then invited us into it. I I love this. He didn't have to. He was doing it for what? Our sake. In any time that I have a day of rest, I get real antsy. I get real antsy because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, or I'm not doing enough, or I'm not fulfilling enough, or I'm not playing out what I want to do, right? And I have to continually remind myself the reason for the rest. The reason for the rest is Yes, physical in nature, right? I'm exhausted. I need to sleep. But even more than that, there are spiritual and relational things tied to it. That if we don't stop and rest, we will forget extremely important things about our soul and the soul level of ourselves that will then infringe upon how we work and how we see ourselves. So what does playing hard or resting include? It includes stopping worshiping and delighting. I want to walk through those briefly and then we'll finish here. Stopping. It's not on the screen, but I'd write down stopping. Okay? Stopping. I have a hard time stopping. Okay? You can ask my wife. I have a hard time stopping. Right? Right now in the season that we're in, that is just really, really hard. Okay? And for some of us, that is a hard step. Stopping from work or we're in a hard stage to do that. You might be a high schooler, right? And high school sports has changed since I was in high school, way back when, when you walked uphill both ways barefoot, back in 2012, right? (laughs) That's when it was real, folks, okay? No, but high school sports has changed. I played a season, and then I would work out throughout the other seasons. There are multiple seasons of the same sport right now, right? That that high school students are allowed to do college work, which, trust me, is a huge benefit. It's a huge benefit, right? But we're able to do more. We're able to introduce more. We're able to go more. We're able to have more. What ends up happening is stopping can be really hard. Maybe you're a young adult, right? And you're just free to kind of roam and do whatever, and it's hard to stop because there's something over here. There's something over there. I got friends over here. I'm doing this. I got this. I got a job. I got school. Maybe you have young kids. Stopping's hard because they don't stop, right? My daughter comes down at 6.30 and she's like, you want to play? And I'm like, no, I want to drink coffee and sleep. Like this, I don't, what are you doing up right now, right? It's like crazy. And you're like, how do we stop? Because they aren't stopping. What's going on there, right? Maybe your kids are all out of the house, but you're still navigating college. You're still navigating, maybe entering into grandparenthood. You're navigating your parents maybe, and it doesn't, stop, and yet there's something to stopping that is so important, so important, and this is how I would write it down. Stopping is an intentional act of trusting. It's an intentional act of trusting. When God instituted the Sabbath, he wasn't like, ha, 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 one less day of productivity for you, or I got you, right? He was saying, trust me, that I'm the one that makes it grow, I'm the one that does the work. I'm the one that fulfills this. I'm the one that actually has given you the opportunity, invited you in. I am God. You are not. 
My work can make me feel like I'm God, right? Got the phone call, got the email, got this and that. And he wants us to trust. It is a forceful stopping to remember who we are and where our home is. I can forget very often where my home, my retreat place is. And I think it actually stopping in today's world is a rebellion against the cultural wave. It is in rebellion. It is against the belief that you are not enough, that you have the answers, that everybody needs you, and that you can fulfill it all on your own. Let me use this illustration real quick. I've told the length of this story before, so here's the short story. Me and my wife were traveling on I-80 at one point. My brakes went out. We hit the median, and we slammed into one of those, like, three-foot cement walls on the bridges on the highway at a 70 miles per hour. Okay, that's the short story of it. And it stopped us in our tracks. You want to know, after the airbags hit, and we're like, what happened, right? It stopped us, and it made me think of very different things than I was thinking before we got into the wreck. I was thinking about eating my sandwich and where we're going and what are we doing, all this stuff. And one of the first things I thought was, is Jess okay? And am I okay? And what just happened? We got out of the car and I hugged her. And all of a sudden, the, there was a new perspective. There's a new per, it wasn't important where we were going. It wasn't important that our plans got wrecked. It wasn't important that my sandwich is all over the car now. What was important is that my wife was safe. What was important is that we're together. What is important is that we're going to be okay. And all of a sudden, everything else kind of left. Stopping is an intentional act of trusting and allowing all things to take aside and saying what's important is that God is God. What is important is that God sent his son to do for me what I could not do for myself. What is important is I've said yes to that. What is important is my identity is built in that. What is important is I get to work out of that. What is important is I have a home to retreat to, no matter what my day is like, that I know I'm loved and cared and graced because of who God is and what he's done for me. It is an intentional act of trusting. It is like stopping the car on the cement wall and choosing to do this throughout your week in spurts. Right? I think resting can happen in spurts, but also in or on a specific day. Having a specific day to say, I want to stop. Now, what does that look like? If you're parents of little ones, you're like, that's impossible. You got kids doing different sports. But finding a day where that you can have very intentional stopping points for the sake of trusting God and putting aside the things that ultimately you dictate, but ultimately are what God dictates. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 tells me this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. Yes, we walk with Jesus as we work, but we also choose to be with Jesus in our rest. Do you have a moment? Do you have a day? Do you have a setting where you're able to just step back and do Things like we're going to talk about worshiping and delighting for the sake of being with him. John 15, 9 tells me this. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourself at home, my love. When I stop, I'm choosing to go home and to sit inside of his love. It starts with stopping. Choosing a time to intentionally stop. 
intentionally sit upon who God is. Secondly is worshiping. We're going to blow through the next couple here. Worshiping is an intentional act of seeing my design. I was designed to partner with God, yes. But ultimately when I worship God and when I stop and worship him, like truly worship him, reading scripture, prayer, singing, celebrating him, what it tells me is this, that he is God and that I have limitations and I need God that I need him as Lord and Savior and King of my life. And so I might stop inside of a 24-hour frame, but I also need to be intentional about worshiping because I can stop and do Facebook scrolling or I can stop and do all of the binge watching. But when I decide to stop and worship, what it ultimately does is it puts him in the rightful place and it takes me off of that seat or any figment of my imagination being on that seat. And I worship him in a day that is solely for the sake of me aligning my heart to his. Worshiping through songs, worshiping through scripture, worshiping through prayer, worshiping through devotions, worshiping for, through going out on a hike and walking, worshiping through art, worshiping through music, worshiping through throwing the football around in the backyard because that's a gift or a talent of yours. It's what we would do on Saturdays, right? Worshiping ultimately becomes a time to celebrate who God is and all that he's done for us. And then lastly is joying. Joying. Joying is an intentional act of delighting. When I am resting, I can intentionally refill my tank with things that bring me joy. Why? Because joy is of God. It, it is not a sin to be happy and to be joyful and to enjoy things in this life. There is so much that comes with that. And what it does is it intentionally allows me to have delightfulness in the God of the universe and what he has given to me. God has not only gifted us with abilities to work, but also to play. Things like maybe throwing the football back hikes, eating really good food when you rest is such a good thing. We, on Saturday mornings, I make pancakes and sausage or bacon every Saturday morning. That's where we start our day, with sugar and bread. And that is just an amazing feel. And my kids know it. They know it's coming, right? And that's how we start Saturday, because we're delighting in what God's given us. And then we lay on the couch, and we might regret it a little bit, but we are celebrating who God is through that, right? Maybe it's quiet. Maybe you delight in just having a moment to go out and be quiet. Playing with your kids, there's a joy in that. Play to that. Don't, don't be like, guys, it's Sabbath. You got to all be quiet for 24 hours. Your kids be like, what universe do we live in, right? But playing with them is a joy. God's given them to you as a gift. Coloring, singing, right? The list goes on and on and on. God invites us to delight in him as the one who is the giver and creator of our souls. He wants you to run into that. As the worship team comes up, I'm just going to land on one passage, then I'll finish. Luke 10, Jesus is interacting with Martha and Mary, two really good friends of his. And this is the interaction that they have. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I am Martha. If you wondered, I'm Martha. 
She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now listen, I, I think I can often get into this passage and be like, yeah, Martha, you should have been sitting next to Jesus, right? And I'm so often like Martha, and I think there's application to that, right? I think what Jesus is saying is maybe even broader than that a little bit. That no matter if you are Martha and you work really hard and you are engaged with the preparations, or if you're like Mary, who's maybe someone who can sit in the moments, or maybe who can savor the moment, or maybe is maybe a little slower to getting the preparations ready, just wants to be with people, right? That there is one thing that you got to attach both to, and his name is Jesus. That inside of what we just talked about, work and rest, if Jesus is not a part of that, we've missed out on something. That we'll just be like Martha, where we'll just prep, 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 prep. Or we can be like Mary without Jesus, where we just kind of sit around and we scroll and we just kind of hope life comes at us. But inside of this, what does he mean? The one thing, the only thing that is needed is Jesus. And if we miss Jesus in both work and rest, we miss it all. And until I learn to be with Jesus, I will never understand how to do for Jesus in either setting. So two challenges real quickly. Two challenges. One's a stretch challenge. One's a regular challenge. Challenge one. What is my work lens? What is my work lens? And here's what I would challenge you to do. Probably today's the best day to do it because you're about to go to work tomorrow. Sorry, it's Monday, I know. Some of you may not have it. Teachers, maybe I think there's classes off, right? So Tuesday. I want you to spend like 10 or 15 minutes and I want you to ask, how has God placed me here? Why has God placed me here? What has God placed me here for? And don't just think to get the work done. Yes, that's one equation. But who is around you and why are you there? Secondly is this, stretch challenge, okay? And I've talked to a number of you and you're like, this feels impossible, but I'm gonna challenge you to it anyways. Stretch challenge, what is your rest rhythm? What is your rest rhythm? When do you choose to stop and rest during your week? I, I think it's more important that we give it credit. And not every week, like this week, doesn't give that to me, okay? Like, it, it doesn't happen every week perfectly. But you need to have a rhythm so that when you're mostly able to do it, right, you're doing it. Because if we don't have a rhythm, we just assume working, or we assume just doing, or we assume just laying and just hoping that something fills us, right? What is that? Making pancakes, going for a hike. What is stopping and resting look like for you on a day of the week? So the question is, how am I working hard and playing hard for God's glory? Father, we give you this time. Thank you that you are God and we are not. Help us, Father, with your grace and your mercy inside this conversation. Thank you for the deeply committed workers in our midst, those who are following you and working really hard. Would you just fill them with a rest right now? 
Would you help those that maybe are struggling to figure out where their work lens is or what work looks like, that you would just fill them with the purpose and meaning of what Jesus has done for them? Father, we give you this and ask that you would use us in our workspaces. We pray this in your name.